And Barna recently did a did a, a study where they uncovered the fact that almost 50% of of Christian millennials believe it's wrong to share their faith. So this is a very new thing. Um, and for those of us who may not believe it's wrong, we feel more kind of conflicted about it than ever, I think. This is, this is a really big issue. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you're going to hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission and community and discipleship. Today's episode is from one of our coaching intensives called Made for Mission, where we coach others on how to practically live out the command of Jesus to go and make disciples in our Western context. So if you want to learn more about A Thousand Houses or check out some of our resources, visit one kh. All right, guys, I'm going to get us, get us rocking. I'm going to, so um, what we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to kind of go through just a presentation. I just want to talk a little bit about this whole topic of being on mission in the West. I think it's actually, for me, it's been super confusing. So I'm excited to talk to you about what we've learned and, you know, what, you know, what are some approaches that could work. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the state of Western missions and why this is a challenging topic to discuss and why I think it's been so hard for us to figure out. Um, I want to dive into some possible solutions, the ways that we're exploring solving this problem. And then um, part of what we want to do tonight, too, is uh, you guys can take whatever we say tonight and hopefully find ways to apply it in your own context. But we'll also give you guys an invitation if you want to spend more time diving into this stuff. We have a coaching thing that I'd love for you guys to check out. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end as well. Okay, so I want to just begin by talking about I just personally my own mission confusion. So one of the the, the things that you know people have kind of kept stats about evangelism and outreach have discovered is that you tend to do your best outreach uh, within the first year or two after becoming a believer. And so for those of us who grew up in Christian families, um, or for those of us who've been believers for a lot a lot of years. There does tend to be this experience of your your network gets more and more and more kind of Christianized. You know, you spend, uh, and I think this is becoming an increasing experience for a lot of people. They, you spend a lot of time with other believers, and it makes um, creates a, a growing disconnect between you and the unbelieving world, between deep relationships with other friends. You might have some friends from back in the day, but that tends to really erode, and, and we just see a lot less um, in in kind of kind of the Western Christian culture a lot less fruit. When it comes to mission, the older you are a Christian, which is obviously a big problem because now you've got, you know, all this knowledge and you have an increasingly deepening faith with the Lord, but that's not bearing fruit in this way. Um, and that's kind of a predictable thing that happens to a lot of us. I definitely feel like it happened to me. I didn't know what to do. Honestly, I was like, okay, I'm in ministry. I've got a lot of friends who are uh, strong believers. I have a lot of people asking even for discipleship, which has been awesome. Um, and I want to be faithful in that. I've got a great Christian community, but the more I invested in these things, the less I felt connected to non-believers, the less I felt like I knew how to um, really see someone come to faith or to begin to share my life in that way. Uh, and so that's just been a, a big issue. So a big part of um, where I think this comes from, and this is where we you know, really like to dive into in, in Made for Mission, um, is that 
there is um, a huge need for us to understand who we are um, if we're actually called to be missionaries. So I want to talk about this idea of, of taking on a missionary identity. And Barna recently did a, did a, a study where they uncovered the fact that almost 50% of, of Christian millennials believe it's wrong to share their faith. So this is a very new thing. Um, and for those of us who may not believe it's wrong, we feel more kind of conflicted about it than ever, I think. This is, this is a really big issue. So before we dive into any tactics or anything like that, I just want to take a minute and, and look at a couple of passages I know that are probably familiar with you, to you guys, but I think it's, it really bears taking a second and saying, okay, is it clear that we have this calling from Scripture? Um, and where do we get that from exactly? So um, probably, you know, the first place I like to, to go to really understand why this is so important is Matthew 20. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, every single one of us here listening to this, we're only believers because somebody did this, because somebody decided to obey this command. If this would have stopped, you know, right here at the ascension, Jesus really saying this to his disciples right before he leaves the earth, then, you know, where would, where would our faith be? And so it's important for us to like in our own faith genealogy, acknowledge how much we personally benefit from the fact that people take this command seriously. Um, another element of this is that it starts with that word go. And, and so I find that very challenging. And I'd love to talk to you guys a little bit about what does that mean when you're not actually leaving your, you know, your sort of country of origin, right? A lot of times we look at this and we think this is only talking about something like, you know, foreign missions. And certainly it includes that. <clears throat> but the, the real, the verb here is just as you're going, make disciples of all nations. And so there's a sense in which this is just a part of what we all do. Um, some people have looked at this uh, passage and then um, have said, well, this also suggests this is being said to apostles, you know, people that were special disciples of Jesus. Um, but it's important to say that if those who believe that maybe this command is only given to the disciples, pay, look at the, how this ends and teaching them, in other words, the people that come to faith through your witness, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, when the disciples bring somebody to faith, they have to relay the commands they've been given. And guess what one of those commands are? Go and make disciples, right? So th there's a loop inside of this passage. There's a loop that begins with go and make disciples, but it comes back to go and make disciples when you are seeing somebody come to faith. So this is a command to all of us. If we're an apostle, you know, in the first century, we're commanded to go. If we're somebody who's believed because of their message, then we're commanded to to teach people to obey everything the apostles were told to do, which is go and make disciples. So I, I don't think any of us are uh, somehow exempt from the command. I think another passage that to me has been really meaningful in this area is Paul really describing what this calling really looks like. He says, because we understand our fearful, fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We like to you know, hear that message and talk about the new creation. But then right after that, he talks about what this new creature does. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And I think that's a really, really helpful way to think about our identity. We are all 
a representatives of another kingdom. It's as if we've been sent from another place and we've been put on the earth to be ambassadors, to represent another kingdom. And so part of what an ambassador needs to do is the things that Paul describes here in 2 Corinthians 5, that we try to persuade others. And so, so this is, I think, exactly what those millennials are upset about. Like this is, this is kind of getting to the crux, I think, of where a lot of the concern is. We don't want to persuade others. And I think part of this really comes from a desire or a belief, sort of maybe a subtle, sometimes conscious, but often subconscious belief that maybe we don't know the truth. Maybe the truth doesn't even exist. Or who am I to say that, that that's true for you? Maybe it's just true for me. And that's why it's so important that when we confess Jesus is Lord, right? That's, our, that's the confession of the church. We're not saying that Jesus is my Lord. That's not the confession. The, the confession that we make when we come to faith, according to Romans 10, is Jesus is Lord, which means that every person we see is under his lordship, that they are under the rule of Christ and they are in, act, in active rebellion against that. And so as ambassadors of this other kingdom, it's always good news to tell them about the lordship of Christ, about the salvation of Christ. So this is, a, this is really important for us to believe. And I think that that part of where we need a lot of help, you know, and as a community, we need to really discuss this with each other is, okay, there are so many cultural trends that make this hard, that make us feel weird about doing this. And so the only way to overcome that that I know is to go deeper into the identity, to really receive what scripture is saying about these things and to choose to identify as, and I think that's why I love the word ambassador. I want to think of myself as an ambassador. You know, sometimes I'll try to literally do this. I'll be like maybe on a hike and I'll imagine what it would be like to be suddenly, um, you know, basically in heaven and God saying, I, I need to send you to earth as my ambassador. And so as I, as I emerge from the woods, I'm like, I think of myself as, okay, I'm a sent person who is now being sent. What will I do? What is my mission? You know, what is my responsibility here? So we need to get that identity really deep in us. And I think the last one I want to share with you guys is that evangelism is definitely in scripture, not reserved for particular people. You know, Timothy was clearly not an evangelist, but he was commanded by Paul in 2 Timothy 4 or 5 to do the work of an evangelist. And so he's not being given that, that responsibility is not given to a subset of people. And even the word evangelist, what, what, what are evangelists supposed to do? Some, sometimes we think evangelists are supposed to do all the evangelizing, but that's actually not what the scripture says. In Ephesians 4, 11 and through 12, it describes what an evangelist is supposed to do. And he says, he gave himself the evangelists. Now there, there's, there's five you know, listed here, if you guys know Ephesians 4, it says that he gave to us the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. But why, why are the evangelists, why are these five given? To equip his people for works of service. In other words, an evangelist is somebody who equips people to do evangelism, right? A teacher equips teaching, a prophet equips prophet prophesying. These are, these are people who are, yes, they may be very good at it, and they certainly probably do an amazing job of living out this gift in themselves. But, but the responsibility when, when these are actually listed and we're told what their purpose is, it's to equip us. So if, if you're being equipped by an evangelist, what do you think the evangelist is equipping you to do? Probably evangelize. That's my guess. I think that's a pretty safe uh, assumption. So so that, that then means it's all of our responsibility to do this. And it's, it's also all of our responsibility to receive equipping to do evangelism. And one of the things I find really comforting about this is I think, I think the idea that, you know, you just hear that you should, you know, share your faith and then you, you know, feel guilty if you can't figure out how to do that. That's not uh, the way that the scripture talks about this. The scripture says, when you realize that it's something you need to do, the next thing you need to look for is equipping. You need to find somebody who can help equip you. 
And that's really what you know we're we're going to be talking about tonight. So there are three major problems with Western missions. Once you get this, your heart around the idea that I'm called to do this ministry, um, you begin to struggle with uh, a series of things, problems. There's three three problems that I that we really want to talk about tonight. There's the power problem, the bubble problem, and the proclamation problem. And if you don't solve all three of these problems, um, usually in the West, you can't bear fruit in this area. Or if you do, it'll oftentimes sort of stop, like we talked about after you've been a believer for a year or two and your network starts to shift. So I want to talk about the nature of each of these problems. So first of all, the power problem. This is a this is asking the question, when somebody comes to, uh, to believe in in Christ, when somebody makes the decision to follow him, what is the uh, what what provided the power for their decision, their transformation? And we believe the scripture teaches very clearly that this power does not come from us. And that if we go out and we try to convince people without any supernatural power, then we should not expect to bear supernatural fruit. Um, and so that means that we actually, we start our whole course, we talk about like, what is your prayer strategy for the lost in your life? Um, and we talk about how, what, what are the different things that you can do to begin to, to make sure that you're consistently identifying those that, that, that God is calling you to pray for and to share the gospel with. Probably the most famous example of somebody who did this was D.L. Moody. So D.L. Moody, when he began to really get serious about his faith and about sharing his faith, he sat down and he listed 100 names of different people that he wanted to see come to come to faith. And he made a commitment to pray for those 100 people every day until they all came to faith. And as each one came to faith, he would just he would he would scratch their name off the list and keep praying for the rest, scratch their name off the list and praying for the, the rest. Well, when D.L. Moody died, 96 of the 100 people on his list had come to faith. That's how powerful prayer is. You might say, well, it works 96% of the time. But the other four came to faith at his funeral. <laughs> so that I find that super encouraging. You know, we may not see all the fruit, but we can't be confused about the nature of how power really uh, um, happens when it comes to um, sharing our faith. We're, we're not alone. Right after Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told the disciples, I am with you always at the very end of the age. In other words, I the power is not going to come from you alone. I'm going to ask you to step out and do some really challenging things, and I'm going to be with you. Man, and that's encouraging. Jesus is with us as we go to make disciples of all nations. This is part of why we do it. You know, Paul said when he was running around the, the first century world evangelizing, he said, I'm, I'm doing this because I want, I want to know Christ. Um, and so he saw this as a really intimate part of his relationship with the Lord. So solving the power problem is to have a specific prayer strategy for the people God's called you to reach out to. So we want you guys to think about, do you have a specific prayer strategy um, for how to do this? And so that, that's a whole part of what we need to develop. And we do not want to continue uh, to, to lean into this kind of work while we're still struggling with the power problem. And so a lot of that comes, first of all, from the belief that, that this, is a, this, is, this power comes from the Holy Spirit, um, but then we have to do our part, and that is to spend time really interceding for those who are non-believers. Okay, let's talk about the bubble problem. So if you solve the power problem, you're praying, 
many of us still have a bubble problem. I, I referred to this a little bit earlier, and that is that that we tend to live in this these Christian bubbles, um, and you know this is problem is really in a lot of ways getting worse because people increasingly in our culture, you know, they they really gravitate or live in affinity groups, people that are like them, right? People are moving to be places that people like them. And we don't, we don't have to hang out with people that we don't really resonate with. And so the bubble problem as it, as people connect more and more online, and as people connect more and more with people that have, you know, more and more niche niche affinities, um, this bubble problem continues to, to get worse and worse. And so if we don't find a way to pierce through this problem, then what will happen oftentimes is that we will find ourselves in the situation I was in, which is, which like, can I name five non-believers right now that if I were to call them, they would likely, you know, pick up the phone or call me right back because they were friends or they know me. Like, are, do I have five people in my life that are not yet believers that, that I have a current ongoing relationship with that I, you know, that, that, that's like that. And so they can see my life and I can share the gospel with them. And, you know, we can, we can have that kind of connection. Um, and so until we get there, I would say we need to admit that we're living in a bubble and, and, uh, it's very difficult in the bubble to obey the commands we just uh, talked about. So one of the things I want to work with you guys, uh, through is that, that solving the bubble problem, we like to say is as easy as pies. Okay. That sounds a little bit weird pies. Yes. Well, this is an acronym of course. Um, and it has four components. What I love to do is sort of we coach people to to really identify where their field is, right? So people who go overseas, they know where their field is. Do you know where your field is? And there's really these four different places that are tend to be very fruitful fields depending on on the makeup of your personality, where you live. Uh, but one of these four tends to really work for different people. So proximity, interests, experiences, and service. Um, and so this is really a big deal. you know I, I imagine that, uh, let's say you had somebody who who came to you and said, "Look, I want to be a missionary. I need some support. You know, can you can you help me out? Somebody you really you know um, believe in, and you you think, oh, they're 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 going to do uh, amazing amazing mission work. Um, and so, do you begin to support them on a monthly basis? You're praying for them. You're you're giving them um, some financial resources, and you check in with them about six months later, and it's like you say, okay, you know, tell me about where where you're headed, what's going on. Well, I haven't decided yet. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Well, let me know when you do. You check in a year later and they're like, ah, I don't, I don't quite know where my mission field is. You know, two years later, they still don't know. Three, five. At what point would you say, you know what? I don't know if you're a missionary. <laughs> and I don't know if I should continue to support, you know, this as a mission. Um, well, this is where most believers are today. We've been saved, we've been given resources, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We don't know the field that we're actually doing mission in. And I think that there used to be a time when I, when most of us just saw our field as just proximity, you know, there's great books like, you know, about the art of neighboring, right? It's an amazing book about if, if you really want to have a, a ministry in a neighborhood to people that are in close proximity to you, what does that look like? And so we need to identify our field, like where are those places? Um, so proximity is, is a great one and there's great resources and we do a lot of coaching around what the principles are in the art of neighboring and how to think about a, a, like a street or a neighborhood. Um, a second one that, that for me is actually closer to, I feel like how I do missions is interests. So um, because people are gravitating more and more towards affinity, um, not just uh, proximity, 
we might have hobbies or things that cause us to have a really strong overlap with people that are not believers. Um, and we could use those interests to get to know people. And, and so, so I, my, my three things that I love to do that, that I try to host on a regular basis are philosophy, um, poker and pickleball, right? So these are, these are things I like to do anyway. And I was doing them with, you know, with people who were my Christian friends for the most part. And I've been trying to figure out how I could turn each of these interests um, and just with a little intentionality, I can start to meet people. Um, and so um, I, I host every other week, for example, a, a sort of a philosophy night. And um, we had around our fire last, uh, last Thursday night. It was amazing. You know, um, we had a, a Russian atheist Jewish man uh, debating governmental philosophy with um, a British atheist Jewish guy. <laughs> I was like sitting back, smoking my pipe, watching these two guys go out and just like, I love this. Now, if that sounds like torture to you, then that's not, you know, your interest, but I think that's amazing. And so it's very easy for me now that I've sort of figured out how to meet these people, how to bring them together and how to become friends with them through our common interest um, that I, that I have a field in my city that I can be cultivating for the gospel. It took a few steps of intentionality to identify, okay, if that's an interest I'm going to use um, and it's great too, because I get to do things that I'm already interested in. I'm, I enjoy, um, but it has the, you know, it, it makes a very easy connection for me and for, for other people. Experiences are things that you might have, you know, gone through in the past. Let's say you got out of debt through, you know, some really, really uh, great, you know, strategies and you want to teach other people to get out of debt. Can you do that with, through, um, you know, through some kind of experience, using that experience to help others and to bring non-believers in, you know, there's divorce recovery, there's like there's substance abuse, uh, there's all kinds of things that we've gone through. There's different tragedies, or there's uh, and different ways that we can. And those those are such an incredible. I mean, I, those are hard experiences, but but actually, uh, when you are a part of um, these micro communities around experiences like that, the gospel tends to be very easy to share because uh, the conversations go deep almost instantly, right? I mean, if you're in foster care or like anything like that, like th these are really, really fruitful places to go and and to build relationships and to pop that bubble uh, and begin to talk to non-believers about about the faith. And the last one is is service. So one of the things that Christians do that that I think should be really rethought is that when we do service projects, we tend to only invite other Christians. Why not serve with alongside of non-believers? I mean, the, the, again, this is another area where you can really experience depth very quickly. I, uh, uh, and I, I was just talking just um, about 30 minutes ago, we have a open supper. One of the guys who came, he just, he, you know, he was, we were, I was asking him, he was the one who brought the, 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 uh, the Russian uh, atheist Jewish man. Uh, and I was like, tell me about him. Tell me about how you, um, you met him. And he said, well, I met him because I, or I, I got to know him or I, I knew that he, we had this conversation about coming over to the, to the philosophy night because I invited him to a service project, you know, that I do every year. And I invite all my friends from work if they want to come and, you know, we serve at this camp. And, and so I invite him every year and I was like, wow, like that is so cool. Or why not find out like one of the, we had a Unitarian Universalist church that in our community that was doing some really amazing work with the poor. Um, and so our family went and served there because it was like, killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> we were getting to serve the poor and then share the gospel with a lot of these folks who 
you know, I mean, the Unitarian Universal Church tends to be, you know, not very, um, you know, gospel uh, oriented, right? They don't believe uh, the Bible is the word of God. And so uh, we knew that serving alongside them, we would get to have deep conversations. And we did. It was amazing. Um, so those are just examples. So we have a bubble problem. It really doesn't take that much. This is kind of the secret, you guys, to pop that bubble. It does take uh, like making one of these intentional moves. And so uh, it's it's a decision to do that and to do that with some level of skill and consistency to like have a good, decent strategy, right? We have the power from the Holy Spirit, but he he really asks us to use our minds and our creativity and to go. The command to go, and this is this is really obeying that command. When I go, when I go to my neighbor's house because of proximity, right? When I go to some place to to really uh, experience my interests, but to meet people, when I go to a place that that you know is a group of people that have a shared experience that I also have, or when I am going to serve, these are ways that I am fulfilling the Great Commission, and I you know in the, in that area. And I, I think it's really important for us to, to take that seriously. Okay, and then the last one uh, is the proclamation problem. Okay, it's great. We've met, we've got these friends and we're hanging out and, you know, we're having fires and like, okay, what, like, what, how does the gospel get brought up? Like, you know, what, what does that look like? And so um, we love to walk through these five tools for overcoming the proclamation problem. So we got the power problem solved, the bubble problem, the proclamation problem. So there's, there's five things. And this is, again, something... Fairly simple to, to, to really learn these skills. Um, the first one, of course, is the best way to show the gospel is to get asked a question, right? That's where Peter says, be prepared to answer anyone who asks you. And so he's su suggesting there that you're living a lifestyle that is causing people to ask questions. And so you want to be a little weird, right? You're doing weird things. And that those weird things, they're not necessarily things that are freaking people out, but they are different enough to inspire questions. And so when they ask, hey, tell me about like, why do you believe that? You know, um, that's a really, really obviously uh, the perfect open door into a spiritual conversation. Um, I think another great way to do this is if you're doing spiritual rhythms as a household, right? We do like different, so like festivals, Sukkot, we do Sabbath dinner, we do other spiritual rhythms. Um, and, you know, even when we're doing things like Christmas, like we're always trying to ask the question, is there something we can do with this spiritual rhythm that's going to create a spiritual conversation? Let's invite all of our non-believing friends that we've been spending time building relationships with into these rhythms. You know, one of the things we, we had somebody where we were talking about this um, and, you know, they, they were doing a spiritual rhythm and began to um, just share a testimony, you know, about how this event means something to them personally and testimonies. People love to hear people's stories. Um, when we're in Israel, the most successful evangelistic strategy in the city of Jerusalem, um, as several people mentioned to me, was this group of um, Swiss missionaries. And all they did was they would do a party for every Christian, Muslim, and Jewish holiday. And so they were constantly basically doing two things. They would go out and build relationships with lots and lots and lots of people. And then they would throw these absolutely amazing parties and then at some point during the party, somebody would stand up and simply draw the connection between the spiritual significance of that event and their life and the gospel. And then they had all these people coming to faith. It was such a, it's, it's such an amazing uh, um, strategy. Um, we could all use that and do that in, through, in and through our houses. We don't have to be a part of a huge organization. This is something like any family could, could begin to initiate. 
Um, I think another thing that takes some boldness, and this is where you really need to listen to the Holy Spirit, but I think often offering to pray for specific needs that people have. Hey, I know you just told me about that, and that, that sounds really hard. Can I pray for you? Like, be bold. In Luke 10, this was a direct way that Jesus was telling the disciples to engage with, with these people of peace that they were meeting and spreading the kingdom around. He was like, ask and pray for them. Pray for their healing. And I, so I think we need to be bold in that way. And that, that obviously will begin a, a spiritual connection in your relationship with, uh, with that person. Invite them into a gospel discovery experience. We, we do um, things like the story from life. Um, I do different uh, uh, sort of Jesus or gospel oriented discovery Bible studies. So if you've got any of those things going and we can train you in some of those things, but those, those really do help you uh, create kind of on ramps. If somebody's starting to ask questions, you're having these deep conversations then it's great to uh, to use that those different gospel discovery experiences as as on ramps into lots and lots and lots of spiritual conversations. And then the last one is just initiate a one on one. I mean, if you if you if you've done like let's say you know in my case I've spent you know I've had three or four instances with where I'm having conversations with somebody at an event like um, like what I do with whiskey and wisdom or whatever kind of events you guys might might think to do around your interests or been playing pickleball with somebody or whatever. Um, at some point say, Hey, let's grab lunch. Like just start asking them deep questions about their life and like initiate uh, those conversations. So we get a lot, a lot of people get confused about, about, okay, how does this work? You know, how can we make this happen? And so we want to be drawing a map that, that makes really clear how we go from, you know, how do we meet people? Um, and how do we deepen those relationships? And then how do we proclaim? And if you have each of these in your life, in your rhythms, and you do this in a way that's really, um, really works for you, and it's very sustainable, like we're very concerned about these things being sustainable, to meet people, to deepen relationships, and to sp spread the gospel, um, then you will, if you're really investing in, in prayer, um, you will start to see fruit in your life. But this is just something I, I think probably 99% of believers, there's some major gap in their in the in this in their life they they may not be praying for any non-believers they may have no regular way to meet non-believers if they are meeting them they have no way to deepen those relationships and if they are deepening the relationships they have no way of bringing up a, a, these conversations around the gospel and so we want to make sure that there's a really um a way to do that that just that feels very natural to you that fits your life and your calling and your wiring and that's that's a big part of how you know we think it's important for you guys to really think about think about mission. So I want to uh, answer just a, um, one of the the questions that we get a lot, and that is, okay, this what if we're really really busy? You know, is a lot going on in our lives, and is this is there is there ways to do this? And this is a big reason why we we think coaching is really critical because I think a lot of times people when they think of evangelism, the way this has often been been presented at least to me in the past, is somebody has given me a method that works really good for them. And for me to do that, it seems very exhausting, you know, you know, whether it's like street evangelism or, you know, door to door or something. And someone's like, no, if you're a real Christian, this is the strategy. And I get why it works for them. I mean, they got so much energy and they're such an extrovert and they love meeting people and they can make anyone and their friend, you know, after a five minute conversation and I'm just like so intimidated. I'm like, I, this does not feel like something. I mean, if I were to, I, I could try to do that and I would, you know, but I don't think I could sustain that, you know? And so a lot of what we want to work through is in a busy season, you know, how do we make this as natural as possible for, for where God's placed you? 
you know, for how you're wired and for the season your family's in. And, and I think those are things we want to be, you know, super, super sensitive to. All right. So if any of you guys are like, okay, this is great. Like I said, there's a couple of ways you can go from here. If there's anything you guys have learned in this that, that could be helpful to you about identity, about prayer, you know, or about solving one of those problems that the West, every Western person has to face and solve to have a fruitful um, life of, of outreach in their, in their life, the bubble problem and the, and, you know, finding, finding their field and, you know, figuring out how to, you know, how to have that conversation. Um, then, then we've, you know, we're super excited for you guys to, to just apply this stuff and, and take that. And, and we definitely want you guys to experience a fruitful uh, ministry in that way. Um, if you guys are interested in kind of going deeper, part of what I want to do is just kind of walk through what the coaching uh, looks like. Um, we think that coaching is really valuable. Like I said, the, the, the way the new, the new Testament describes this is, is that we do evangelism through being equipped and we think households need to be equipped. Singles need to be equipped how to do, how to do this kind of evangelism. So you can go to one kh.org made for mission. There's a little application thing there. You can fill that out. Um, and you can engage in that coaching. Um, basically what the process is, is that usually it takes most people about six to 12 months before they apply all the things that we're describing. Um, and really solve each of those problems. They have a place to meet and a place to deepen and a way to proclaim the gospel. That's a six to 12 month process. We do two coaching calls per month. You know, it's a very communal experience where we get to get to know each other. And, uh, and, and we have, you know, great coaches that can, can help you guys figure out how to make sure that you, um, you're overcoming anywhere you're getting stuck. Um, and we especially like to, to help, you know, households that are, that are really, you know, busy and, and need this to really gel well with the way that the season they're in. So we want to like be very thoughtful how to do that. And so we just, we, in the course of those calls, we just kind of work through these things step-by-step step and gradually begin to build the skills and the rhythms that, that create mission in your life. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you're feeling a yearning to learn how to make disciples in the West, we just want to invite you to join our Made for Mission Coaching Intensive, where we combine online content and personal coaching that's going to provide you with the teaching and the tools and the encouragement that you need to actually see disciples made in your context. So for more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash made for mission. We'll see you for the next episode.